Welcome to Finding Holiness, where we delve into timeless Torah wisdom, revealing the sacred in everyday moments. Join us on a journey to elevate your spirituality and discover holiness in every aspect of life. I'm your host, Rabbi David Kadosh, and together, let's embark on a path of spiritual exploration. I hope you enjoy this next episode. Good evening, everybody. Erev Tov. Welcome to another edition of our Thursday night Parashat Shavua class. We're happy you can join us. Tonight, as we count down the final days of the year, final days of Tafshin Pei Bet, 5,782, just over a week left remaining in this year, looking forward to starting a brand new year of Rosh Hashanah just around the corner. This week's parasha is Parashat Kitavo. And as we have been doing in the last few weeks, we would like to connect the sacred avodah, the service of the month of Elul, Teshuvah, changing ourselves, introspection, with the beginning of this week's perasha. The beginning of this week's perasha deals with the mitzvah of Bikurim. The Torah tells us, V'haya ki tavo el ha'aretz asher Adonai Elohecha noten lach, noten lecha nachala v'lishta v'yashavta ba. It will be when you enter the land that Hashem your God gives you as an inheritance. And you shall take the first of every fruit of the earth. That you bring in from your land. That Hashem gives you. You shall put it in a basket. And then you shall go to the place to which Hashem your God will choose to make His name rest there. The Sefat Emet, in the name of the great Chidushe Harim, Sichuto Yagen Alenu, writes the following. He writes why the month designated for Teshuvah is named Elul. Why is this month called Elul? And again, slowly we will see how this is connected to the Mitzvah Bikurim, the Mitzvah bringing the first fruit to the Bet HaMikdash. And he writes that the word velo, vav lamed aleph, is found in a famous pasuk in Tehilim. De'u ki Adonai hu Elohim hu asanu velo anachnu. Amo v'tzon marito. This is in chapter 100 of Tehilim, Mizmole Toda, where David says, Know that Hashem, He is your God, hu asanu velo anachnu. It is He who made us, and we are His. His nation and the sheep of His pasture. So now here's the thing. The word velo in this pasuk, huasanu velo anachnu, is written vav lamed aleph. Velo. And yet it is read very similarly, but spelled vav lamed vav. The difference is that with an aleph, the pasuk suggests that we are unworthy to be his nation. We are inadequate to be his people. We are not ready to be his nation. But when you read it with a vav, although it sounds the same, it means that indeed we merit being close to our Kadosh Baruch Hu. In reality, both the velo with an aleph, the way it's written, and velo with a vav, the way it's read, they actually complement each other and achieve the same goal. How so? 
when we are able to recognize and realize our lowly stature and the fact that we have sinned, the fact that we have failed to serve Hashem adequately in the proper way, velo anachnu, with an aleph, velo anachnu amo, we are motivated to draw closer, to move closer, by means of teshuvan repentance, and attain the status of velo anachnu amo, with a vav, the way that it is read. Both of these ideas enable us to achieve the goal of being Hashem's people. This is alluded to by the name Elul, Elul, the month that we are in right now. It combines the two spelling, two spellings of the word Lo, Lo with an Aleph and Lo with a Vav, as Elul is spelled Aleph Lamed Vav Lamed. It teaches us that the goal of this month, the goal of Elul is to combine these two processes to correct all of our mistakes, all of our Averot and wrongdoings by means of Teshuvah, and to regain the status of Amo. There is an illuminating idea brought down by our Chachamim in many, many holy Sefarim, which emphasized the following philosophy in Judaism, that the darkness of night always precedes the light of day. The darkest part of the night is right before dawn. And therefore, churban, destruction, always precedes rebuilding. The process of nullification precedes renewal. And one of the earliest people to write about this subject was the Maharal Miprag. And he quotes the Sefer Netzach uh, Israel, where he elaborates one of the discussions, a famous discussion that takes place between Rabbi Akiva and his esteemed colleagues at the time of the destruction of Jerusalem. I read for you the Gemara found at the end of Masechet Makot. These four rabbis, they were walking on the road. When they got up to Mount Scopus, where they were able to see Harabait in ruins, they ripped their clothing. And when they got to Mount to the Temple Mount, they saw a fox that was leaving the Holy of Holies. The rabbis began to cry, but Rabbi Akiva started laughing. Amrulo, they told him. Why are you laughing for? He said, Why are you crying? They told Rabbi Akiva, The same place where the Torah tells us that a stranger who ascends a mountain will die. Now we have foxes in that same place and we're not going to cry. Rabbi Akiva says, for that exact same reason, I am laughing. With regards to, in the prophecy of Uriah, in Sefer Micha, it's written, Because of you, because of your sin, Sion will be plowed like a field. But in Zechariah, that old men and women will once again sit in the streets of Jerusalem. 
and I was worried. As long as the prophecy of Uriah did not take place, I was worried that maybe the prophecy of Zechariah will not come to take place. But now that the prophecy of Uriah took place and Bet Amidash and your Jerusalem is in ruins, it is known to me that the prophecy of Zechariah will be fulfilled. And with this word, they responded to him, Akiva, you have consoled us. Akiva, you have consoled us. Why did he laugh and smile upon seeing proof of Zechariah's nevuah related to the future Geula? There's no doubt that the other rabbis also believed in the nevuah of Zechariah, of what was going to happen in the future. But when confronted with the extent of the Churban and how devastating it was, you see a fox exiting the Kodesh HaKodashim. They were overcome with grief. They cried, What possessed Rabbi Akiva to react so differently to the same sight, to the same disturbing vision? Why did he require seeing the fulfillment of Uriah's Nevoah concerning the extent of the Churban in order to justify or substantiate the, the Zechariah's Nevoah concerning the Geulah that it's going to be fulfilled. So says the Maharal Miprag, the basic principle, HaKadosh Baruch Hu created a world such that there is always going to be void and nullification prior to renewal. The degree of renewal relates to degree of absence and the degree of concealment. The greater the absence of God and void of God, the greater the renewal will be. And to prove this point, he quotes a Gemara in Masechet Temura. There the Gemara discusses a case of a chick that is born from the egg of a terefa bird. A terefa bird is a bird that developed an injury or defect. And you're not allowed to eat this bird. According to Halakha, you're not allowed to eat the egg from the hen of a terefa, just like it's forbidden to eat the terefa hen. But you would think that a chick born from that egg would also be forbidden for consumption. If I can't eat the egg, I can't eat the chick. Nevertheless, according to Halakha and the Gemara, it's permissible to eat a chick born from that egg by means of Shechita. So Gemara explains what's the logic behind the Halakha. The chick, says the Gemara, does not come into existence until the contents of the egg decay completely. The chick is formed from an egg that is no longer suitable to be eaten, is not encompassed by this idea of terefa. The Maral explains that the chick cannot come to life until the egg has first been nullified. And that principle applies to all things. Something cannot be renewed, it cannot be re-energized until it has first been nullified. The void gives renewal the power. Says the Maharal, this is the meaning of the opening Pesukim in the Torah. The earth was chaos. The earth was void. There was darkness over the surface of the earth, of the abyss. When HaKadosh Baruch Hu created the world, there was void. The void came first. And only after the void, Vayomer Elohim Ye'ior. That's when Hashem says, let there be light. 
Only afterwards did the new reality come into existence. So the Maharal explains Rabbi Akiva's profound message this way. When he sees the fox emerging from the Kodesh HaKodashim, he smiled. He had no doubt that the prophecy of Nevuah of Zechariah would come to pass. Old men and old women are one day going to sit again in the streets of Yerushalayim. But he had no idea how grand that revival and renewal of Yerushalayim would be. The fox coming out of the Kodesh HaKodashim was such an extreme level of concealment, a void, of abyss, that he had caused him to rejoice. He understood that the level of churban, of destruction, of absence, was commensurate with the greatness and glory of what was to come in the future, at the time of the renewal. Says the Maharal in the Sefer Netzach Israel that this is the same thing what happened in Galut while we were in Mitzrayim, in Egypt, while it preceded Israel's entry into Eretz Israel. They all represent the void and the, uh, the that precedes a new era of existence, a new state of existence. The darkness precedes the day, and therefore Kadosh Baruch Hu needed to put the Jewish people in, in Egyptian exile. That was the nullification prior to taking them into Eretz Israel. That's why the Pasuk says in Sefer Shemot, The more that they afflicted them, so it will increase, so it will burst forth. The Torah tells us that the, the, the suffering and the affliction in Mitzrayim constituted the void, that pain, that abyss that gave rise to Bnei Israel's rebirth. And after Yetziat Mitzrayim, they received the Torah in Har Sinai and they entered Eretz Israel. And that is how all the Galuyot work. That's the absence in the void first, destined to produce the incredible renewal of the future Geulah. In the 1940s, we experienced the worst of all destruction of the Shoah, of the Holocaust. Nothing is comparable to that, with six million of our holy Neshamot being wiped off the face of the earth. And then what comes right after? A great, great renewal. The State of Israel in 1948. Throughout history, we see this over and over again. This is the concept of before light comes the darkest darkness. The Baal Shem Tov, Alenu, also speaks about this similar concept. He defines the state of void and nullification as Ayin, something that is not there, and that always precedes the state of renewal, which is called Yesh. And he says this is why a person cannot function without sleep, why a person has no energy without sleep. Sleep represents that nullification and that void that we all need. And he reveals a Tremendous chidush, that the state of sleep and slumber is found all over creation. Without sleep, we can't renew, we can't revitalize. Everything would wither away and, 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 and fall. In fact, he says that mankind who requires the most energy must, must have the most sleep. Animals whose life force is lesser sleep less. Even water possesses an aspect of sleep. Otherwise, it would become contaminated. We wouldn't be able to drink the water. Elsewhere, he compares the seeds of wheat and other fruit and vegetables that is planted in the ground. That their growth only starts after the seed decays into almost 
nothingness, ayin. There is nothing there. And only then, from that state of nothingness, the seed begins to grow and sprout and renew itself. When grain is planted in the ground, it can't grow unless it decays and actually becomes nothing. That's the void. The void that allows a tremendous potential to burst through. That's a metamorphosis. That is a miracle. And at that moment, when you think there's nothing left of that seed, everything starts to take shape. The Chachamim tell us in Perkei Avot, Kol ma shebara kadosh paruchu be'olamo lo berao ela lichvodo. That everything that Akadosh Baruch Hu created, created in this world, He created solely for His honor. If that's the case, why did God create the world in such a way that nothing could be renewed or revitalized without first going under this process of nullification? How does this enhance His honor? It's a good question. There is a perush on one of the Pesukim of Tehilim that is fantastic. David HaMelech says in the 13th chapter of Tehilim, Ad ana tastir et panecha mimeni. How long, God, will you hide your countenance from me? Ad ana ashit etzot benafshi. How long will I continue to seek counsel within my own spirit? The Perush writes that David HaMelech wanted to teach a vital lesson regarding our emunah and our trust in Hashem. When a Jew wants to receive salvation from God, he's looking for Yeshuot. He has to understand and totally believe that he is completely helpless on his own. That the salvation depends solely, solely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. As long as he believes that he has a solution, his emunah and his bitachon, his faith and his trust are lacking. They're not 100%. So David HaMelech asks, God, how long will you continue to conceal your presence from me? He answers, So long as I delude myself into thinking that I am capable of resolving my own dilemmas with my own advice. The hester panim, the divine concealment, will continue as long as I keep thinking that. But once I know with certainty and I recognize with, with truth that I lack such wisdom and ability. Then the hester panim, the concealment will cease. And Hashem's, Hashem's uh, salvation will begin to take form Im- immediately. And therefore, that's why HaKadosh Baruch Hu had to create the world in a way that every renewal, every situation of yesh, must be preceded with a state of void and nullification, a situation of ayin, of nothingness. Because such a difficult transformation causes man to understand that he doesn't have the wisdom, that he doesn't have the means, that he doesn't have the resources to do it on his own, to get out and emerge from the darkness without Hashem's help. As soon as he says to himself, how long am I able to do this for? How long can I continue to do this for without your help? That's when he's going to emerge from that void and abyss. There is a sefer called Perek Shira. You might have heard of it before. Many people read it daily. Some people read it monthly. Some may have not heard of it. Perek Shira is a book that describes all the tefilot, the different creatures and God's creations, recite to Hashem every single day. There is a special tefillah that is sung by Chita. Chita is wheat. 
What is the what is the prayer according to Perakshira that wheat prays and, and recites to God? So Perakshira writes in the third chapter, Shibolet Chitim Omeret, Shira Ma'alot Mima'amakim Keraticha Adonai. From the depths I call to you, Hashem. First of all, it's important to know that lechem, bread, encompasses all of man's food and nourishment. Yaakov Avinu, when he prayed, he prayed to Hashem, said, just give me, venatan li lechem le'echol. I just want bread to eat. When Yosef fed his brothers and his father, he gave them bread. Bread is the key. That's the food. And that's the reason, by the way, that once we say a bracha on Hamotzi, that that covers everything. That covers all the food that a person is going to eat during that meal that is eaten with bread. Because all other food is considered secondary to bread. We learn from the wheat, which of course is the main ingredient in the bread, the vital principle that nothing can grow or be renewed without first going through a state of nullification. Only after the seeds of the wheat decay, like we said, decay in the ground, achieves a state of ayin, of nothingness, that's when it can begin to grow and develop into the yesh, into a new entity. At that very moment when they're in the ground, there are nothing, they're in the bottom, in the depths of the earth, mima'amakim, they're in the depths, not to decay completely, to survive and grow into a new stock of grain, that's the goal. And therefore, that is the song that the wheat sings to Hashem. It recalls the chesed that God performs for it on a daily basis, while it's still deep in the ground, just about to wither into nothingness. The wheat thanks Hashem for hearing and responding to its plea from the depth. And that's why David HaMelech instituted this Tehilim, so that we would join this stock of wheat in expressing our gratitude to Hashem. When we recognize the kindness that Hashem does for us on a daily basis, when really we are undeserving because we are ungrateful most of the time and we are filled with nothingness and helplessness, every night we go to sleep, we have to be of, of, of the most grateful individuals. He returns to our neshamot every night, every morning, and we are revitalized. That's one reason. There's another reason that every situation of renewal requires an ayin, a, a nothingness before. In the name of the Magid Mimezris Zechutoya Genalenu, that this applies to spiritual matters as well. A person who wants to renew and revitalize his service to Hashem also must nullify his present circumstance. He has to nullify his present yesh. And that comes by realizing how far he still has to go to reach Hashem. That's done through humility, Rabotai. That's done through submission, recognition of your unworthiness. He will succeed in serving Hashem on a much higher level. And until he's ready to acknowledge those shortcomings that he has, then he'll be unable to renew himself spiritually. This is the deeper meaning of what we quoted in the beginning of the Shi'ur, in the name of the Chidushe Harim Zechutoya Genalenu, concerning the name of Elul. Elul, we said, combines the two words Lo and Lo, spelled once with a Vav and once with an Aleph. The name Elul reminds us that we are to recognize that indeed we have acted improperly. 
that we are not worthy of being Hashem's people. Velo anachnu amo. We are not His nation. But as a result of that recognition, as a result of that level of humility, and therefore we are now able to mend our ways and perform Teshuvah, then we are and we can be deserving of the new title of Velo Anachnu Amo, Velo with Avav. We are indeed His nation. At the end of the year, during the month of Elul, we have to push our personal reset buttons in order to create ourselves anew for Rosh Hashanah. We do that by nullifying all the evil that we have inside of us. We recognize that we are unworthy to be His people. Velo anachnu amo, and we will succeed in transforming ourselves to the velo with the vav. Now maybe we can connect all of this to the mitzvah of Bikurim. We said in the beginning of the parasha that when we enter the land of Eretz Yisrael that Hashem gives you as an inheritance, you shall take the first of the fruit of the earth and you will bring it to Hashem into a basket into the Bet HaMidash in Yerushalayim. The Kli Yakar, one of the amazing commentators on Chumash, provides the reason for this mitzvah. And he says that after B'nai Israel was going to conquer the new land in Israel, they were liable to become arrogant. They would attribute their, their conquest to their own powers, to their own military strategies. And after working the land and growing various fruits and vegetables, they might think to themselves, that my strength and my might have generated this wealth. And to eliminate this belief, HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded B'nai Israel to take the first fruit of every land, to take it up to the Kohen in Yerushalayim, to recite an explicit statement of gratitude to Hashem for giving us this land. And the whole purpose of this was to strengthen and fortify our emunah in Hashem. David HaMelech writes in Tehilim, Ba'anavim Yireshu Aretz, Anavim with a Vav, not Anavim with a Bet. Not the grapes will inherit the land, but the humble will inherit the land. The quality of humility is necessary for inheriting Eretz Yisrael. The Kedushah of Eretz Yisrael is due to the presence that the Shekhinah, God's presence, is there. It's there all the time. Especially when the Bet HaMikdash was around and operational. They will make for me a Mikdash and I will dwell among them. A prerequisite for the Shekhinah is a Midah of humility. Gemaran Masechet Sotah Davheya Muralef writes, A person should always learn the Midot from Hashem. Hashem abandoned all the great tall mountains and hills and instead He rested His Shekhinah on Har Sinai, a lowly, unimpressive mountain. Not only that, any person who possesses an arrogance, a haughtiness of spirit, God says, He and I, or I and He, cannot dwell together in the world. HaKadosh Baruch Hu commanded that upon entering the land, B'nai would bring the Bikurim to the place that Hashem, your God, will choose to make His name rest there. 
the knowledge that HaKadosh Baruch Hu only rests His name in Eretz Yisrael in the merit of the Midah of humility. So the mitzvah of Bikurim is designed to shatter this idea, this negative force of Kochi ve'otzim yadiyas aliyat ha'ilaze, that my strength and my might, the might of my hand, has generated this wealth for me. Why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu use this mitzvah to hint to us the importance of humility? Because this is the vital lesson we're supposed to learn from the first fruit if we want to enter the land and endure it. We can look at these words carefully and we can read it with a slightly different connotation. Hashem instructs Bnei Israel, Velakachta mereshit kol peri adama asher tavi me'artzecha. Literally, it means you shall take from the first of your fruits that you will bring from your land. Velakachta, you shall learn a lekach. You shall learn a lesson. Lekach, mereshit kol peri adama from the first yield of every fruit of the earth. When those fruits were yet seeds deep in the earth, they came, there was still a little tiny seed. They could not grow. They could not sprout until they decayed into a state of ayin, into a state of nothingness. And therefore, in the same way that those fruits, those seeds began sprouting and growing into wonderful fruits and vegetables. If you wish to remain in Eretz Israel, says God, you have to constantly humble yourselves. That is the type of nullification, of subduing, an expression of nothingness that we're required to do. You have to acknowledge how far you still need to go, how far you are from serving Hashem properly. Only then can you begin to serve Him anew, serving Hashem properly. Where? In Eretz Israel, the land of humility the land that houses the Shekhinah, the Bet HaMikdash. When Moshe Rabbeinu sent the spies to survey the land, what did he say? Vehitchazaktem, you shall strengthen yourselves. Ulkachtem miperi ha'aretz, and take from the fruit of the land. Why did he have to instruct them to take the fruit of the land? Just say, strengthen, give them some chizuk and go. Says the Zohar HaKadosh, the Miraglim didn't want to enter the land because they perceived that they were not going to maintain their elite status as princes and as leaders in Eretz Yisrael. And as a result, it motivated them to speak badly and ill of the land. This way they could remain princes, Nesim, the title that they held in the desert. The Miraglim's failure is, a, is, is connected to the klipa of ga'ava, of arrogance. They feared that they were going to lose their honor and prominence. So this is what Moshe Rabben was hinting to those spies. Veit chazakdem, strengthen yourselves, fortify yourselves against the yetzerah of ga'ava that instills in you the fear of losing authority and control. Ulkachtem, and take a lesson. Lesson from what? Learn a lekach from where? Miperi haaretz. Lesson from the fruit of the earth, from the fruit seeds that, that could not grow, that could not produce within the depths of the earth until they decay, until they achieve a state of nothingness. 
That's how you have to fortify yourselves. By achieving a state of virtual nothingness, relinquishing everything you have. And by doing so, that's how you're going to achieve your complete tikkun in this world. That's how you're going to rise higher, higher, and higher. So what happened? After all the original generation of the Midbar passed away, everyone who was influenced by the Miraglim, everyone who failed to learn the lesson concerning the Midah of humility from the fruit of the land, Moshe now speaks to the new generation, to the children who are about to enter the land. And he says, When you're going to enter this land that God gives you as an inheritance, to take possession of it and dwell in it, he was warning them, if you are going to enter this land to prosper, to, to, to attain Beracha, to survive in it, and you don't want to suffer the fate of your fathers who are not allowed to enter the land, make sure you learn this Lekach, the Lekach of Mereshit Kol Peri Adama, from the first fruits, the, the, what happened when the, when the seed was Mimamakim, when it was in the depths and it was about to decay. Don't follow the behavior of your forefathers who neglected to hear their warning of Vitchazaktem Ukachtemi Periyaretz. Rabotai, this is a vital lesson that is knitly connected to the Avodah of the month of Elul, the name where it's formed by two spellings of Lo and Lo, Lamed Aleph and Lamed Vav. It's incumbent upon all of us to achieve a state of nothingness through the Midah of humility. We must be able to acknowledge that because of our behavior, of our current behavior, right now, we do not truly deserve to be His people. But at the same time, by acknowledging that, by humbling ourselves, by, re- by, by realizing and recognizing how much more we still have to go, and how much more we can improve ourselves, how much Torah we can still learn, how much more chesed we can perform on a daily basis, how much more kavanah we can have on our tefillah, or in our birkat amazon, or any other blessing. When we realize that, we are able to renew ourselves. Through total teshuvah, we can reclaim the status of velo amnachnu amolo vav. Yes, we are his nation. And that's when we will be finally redeemed from all the sufferings, all the trials and tribulations of Galut. Galut is just a void. It is just an abyss. It is just a nothingness that must proceed, must proceed the big shining light that is on its way, the future Geulah that is coming swiftly in our times. Amen. Wishing everybody a wonderful night.